Good evening. Tonight we're talking about Simtsum. Lesson three, the concepts of Kabbalah. <clears throat> now that we've covered the peripheral, it's time to understand something very deep. I expect that this class, in your understanding of Kabbalah, will be one of the more complicated ones. I will try to make it as simplified as possible without taking away from the essence of the teaching. I can't make it too simplified because then you simplify something that's very complex and then you kind of lose the complexity of it. What we want to understand tonight is what was the mechanism that was used to create the world. Why do we have to know the mechanism used to create the world? Why do we need that? It seems almost superfluous. I'm not creating any worlds, nor do I have the ability to create worlds. Maybe in my mind I do. Maybe in my video games or my fantasy or my imagination I'm creating worlds or my dreams. But why do I need to know how the world was created in order to, for me to live a more wholesome or purpose-filled life in this world. Maybe this whole conversation before we even start is completely futile and we shouldn't even get into it. In order to understand how we live in this world and how we function in this world, we have to first understand how the world was created and what was the functionality of creating this world. So, Kabbalah starts by examining the very origins of creation. In Kabbalah, God is not referred to as God. God is referred to as En Suf, meaning the being that has no end. In the act of creation, God made something very finite out of the infinite. Now, how can you create the finite from the infinite? If infinite is truly infinite, where is the space for the finite? If the infinite is truly infinite, then the finite cannot exist the infinity. So the first thing that this Ein Saif, this being with no end, has to do is create a space. We're going to create a space. That space is going to be the void of the infinite. And we're now going to then fill that space with the finite. So, if I'm, I'm God, 
we're not we're now going to refer to God as Ein Sof, which means the being that has no end. Ein Sof now wants to create a world. Ein Sof is infinite. If he's if Ein Sof is just infinite and not finite, then he's finite to infinity. In order to truly be infinite, you must be infinite and finite. That's the definition of infinite. It looks like I've lost you all. No, the finite would be part of the infinite. Is, is the, yeah, is the infinite uh, affected by it? Does the nature of the infinite change by being like altered? The nature of the infinite will change. It has to change. For a finite to be created, we have to change the infinite. There's no choice. What's one plus one? Two. No, it's not. One plus one is three. Because if you take one and you make with you take one and one and make another one, there's a third. Right? Isn't that how it works? And it doesn't work like that in accounting? Look, <laughs> the action, the act of taking one and one and putting them together is going to create something else. <laughs> how, do you, how, can you, how can you take one and one and put them together and nothing's changed? We've created a third value. A third value. There was one and one and now a third value, Correct. Okay, good. I woke you up. That's all I wanted to do. <laughs> it's a long day. There's coffee or there's this. <laughs> so, we are talking about our lives. I'm just going to start off by bringing it very practical into your life and then we're going to work our way back up. In order to understand how you can tap into your infinite potential, you have to understand what infinite is. In order to understand what infinite is, we have to understand how the finite was created. Our, the limits that we impose upon ourselves are created as a result of the fact that we're finite. That's the reality. Correct? I'm finite, and as a result, I say that I can only do a finite amount of things. But we do more. We actually impose more and more and more things based on our experience. Oh, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that because last time I did that, that happened or that. And I've had broken hearts and this relationship and that person and that job and that experience. All, all these things, they all create more and more and more and more boundaries and walls that we put up for ourselves. So, we're now going to change that entire pattern. We're going to try to understand who we are based on how we exist. How do we exist? We exist in a finite world that was created by an infinite creator. Now let's go back to the question. How did the infinite creator create the finite world? Created the whole, didn't he? That, why is it important for us to know? Because through us knowing that, we're going to be able to tap into our infinite potential. Through tapping into our infinite potential, anything is possible. 
So let's go into our text on page 19. While some Kabbalistic texts speak of a gradual contraction of divine power as it streamed into this finite world, eventually reaching a point of complete concealment in this world, the Kabbalah of the Arizal held a very different view. According to the Arizal, there was what we're going to call a quantum leap from the infinite to finite, calling this leap of states tzimtzum, otherwise known as contraction. A, a huge. In order to visualize how this happens, Rabbi Chaim Vital, who was the one who wrote down all the Arizal's writings, he presents the following structure. The power and ability of the Ein Sof is called the Ar Ein Sof, which means the light that has no end. Because physical light is perceived as being, as, as being ethereal or intangible, and because light gives Life and warmth is often used in Kabbalah as a metaphor for divine power. Is it really? But light is the best way that we can kind of picture this kind of divine power. In the initial state of revelation, the prevalent manifestation, that of the infinite light contained within the Arayn Saf, within the light that has no end, in a most sublime way, was the potential for the finite or finitude. However, initially, it was undistinguished from the power from the powerful manifestation of the Arayn Saf. In order for creation to take place, it was necessary somehow to conceal this infinite light, creating a vacuum for the finite light to be revealed. So the first thing that happens is we have Arayn Saf, which means light that has no end. You see, if you try to take the Arayn Saf and you make a physical world with the Arayn Saf, it's going to shatter the physical world. It's going to destroy the physical world. So in order to create a physical world, we need to take infinite light and figure out a way to conceal part of that light. We need to put it in a zip drive, for example. If you want to look at it from uh, technological terms. When you put something in a zip drive, is the whole entire thing still there? Of course, but it's zipped down so you can send it. So the same idea. We have infinite light. Now, this infinite light, if it were to be totally revealed in this world we would end up having destruction, pure destruction. Actually, God tried that. didn't work. Before creating this world, there were other worlds that were created using that exact uh, formula. And it didn't work. So, we have a finite world. The finite world needs to be able to be created by infinite light the first thing the infinite light's going to do is contract itself. It's going to hold part of its light back. So it's not shining so bright so that there's a space for the finite world to be created. We're good so far? I'm trying to stay away from the analogy and give you the actual teaching itself. If you don't understand something, please ask. We can draw an analogy to a ray of light from the sun. While it is within the sun, the ray has no independent identity because it's totally nullified by the greater light of the sun itself. Only when the ray has left the sun can it be recognized and perceived as having an independent entity. 
To explain further, a parallel could be drawn from the world of teaching. Imagine Albert Einstein entering a primary school and being invited to teach a class of elementary mathematics. Now, for the genius to communicate with the child's mind, it's necessary for Albert Einstein to put aside all the theories, all the complexities of advanced mathematics, and focus on basic addition. Does it mean that Albert Einstein doesn't know advanced mathematics? No, but if he were to start talking about the theory of relativity to a bunch of nine-year-olds, he would lose them. So he has no choice but to filter his brilliance in mathematics to be able, for the student to be able to receive it. Well, to be filtered, to be created. For the student, the student, you want the student to understand mathematics. So he can't start with high, complex mathematics. He has to start with basic mathematics. Right. You have to create something simple. Now, what's going to happen is in time, we see that child's potential. So in time, he's going to progress as he studies more and more mathematics. In high school, in college, and then university. And the student may even become a professor of mathematics himself. He may even surpass Einstein in brilliance. However, in the first stages, the end product was concealed. The same is true with regards to Simpson. God purposefully drew back the infinite to create a space where the finitude could be realized. So here's the thing from our perspective, because I'm going to go back and forth between God's perspective and our perspective. From our perspective, yeah, it's true that God had to make a space for us to be existing, but we have the ability to tap into that infinite. Yeah, Albert Einstein is teaching us basic mathematics. But we can tap into his brilliance if we have the ability to understand it. If we have the vessel that can hold. That's what we call it. The ability to understand, in this, in this metaphor, we call the vessel to be able to hold the brilliance. But you have to have the tools first, though. Yes. Okay. You have to have the tools. So... It's kind of like looking at the sun during a solar eclipse versus looking at the sun through a stained glass window. What happens if you look at the sun during a solar eclipse? You go blind. Why? But it's still, it's just the sun. Why can't I look at the sun during a solar eclipse? What do you mean? You can. Good. But you'll go blind. And before that, your eyes will start bleeding. I'm sure, but it's just, but, but I want to look at the sun. You don't have the physical ability to look at the sun. Your eyes cannot look at the sun unless you put on a special filtered glasses in front of your face. That's exactly the relationship. Now, this concealment of Arayn Saif is called by the Arizal, Simsim Harishon, which means the first Simsim. It was the most radical in the sense that it was the quantum leap that allowed the finitude to surface. It must be noted that the concealments of the Aryan Saf did not affect Atzmut. Atzmut represents the essence of God, which transcends everything, including changes. So, there was always the sun. 
Before it's simsum, there's always going to be atzmut. Atzmut is the essence. Remember, we meditated on this last week. There's always going to be the essence of God. This essence preludes or predates simsum. But simsum is the way that we're able to see the solar eclipse. without getting our eyes bleeding. In other words, it's the tools that allows us to do it. More than the tool. It's the filter. It's the glasses we have to put on. Otherwise, we can't see with our naked eye. We don't have the ability. We don't have the vessel to be able to see the solar eclipse with our naked eye. We need to put on the, the glasses. Kabbalah explains that what was left after the symptom were what we call Rishimu, which are letters of the residue. The Zohar says that he engraved letters in the supernal purity, or in Arensuf, which means that when it arose in God's will to create the world, God measured out within himself in potential what would exist in actuality. In the Zohar, this act of measuring out is referred to as engraving letters. These letters signify the structuring and formation of a divine will prior to the symptom. They are the potential for limitation that existed within the Aryan self. We use it actually engraving because engraving, what happens as a result of it? Is you have to actually take away a piece of the, the stone. So God had to engrave a space for the finity to live, for the finite to live. Now, what's the difference between writing on a parchment or engraving in stone? A little bit longer? Probably a lot longer. What else? The act of actually performing it is very good. Okay. That's one thing. You're taking away instead of adding. Hmm. And also the permanence of the stone. The permanence, right? Because what you're finding is in the negative space, it's, the negative space becomes more permanent than the positive space. Think about it a second. Meditate on this. The negative space in the stone is more permanent than the, than the positive space in the parchment. Hmm. Should I say it again? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the negative space the stone is more permanent than the positive space in the parchment. He wants an explanation. Please, someone, give him an explanation. Someone, help, help, us, help us understand this. In our lives. If, if you wanted to alter that negative space, you would have to create more. If you wanted to destroy a document or a writing, you'd rip it, but you'd have to permanently... Yeah. Even, even more so. You know what happens when you alter negative space? You have to take away something. If you want to engrave, if you want to create the negative space, you know what you're going to end up on the floor? With a lot of dust of stone. But that was a beautiful stone that you had. Let's say you were engraving in a diamond. 
Let's just say you had to engrave in a diamond. Look at all that diamond dust over there. That's so valuable. Why did you take away? Why did you just take away all that diamond dust from my life? We hold on, we hold on to the stones of our life instead of realizing that the greatest way to be able to achieve change is within the negative space. The negative space will only happen if we etch away part of our stone. Understand? So we only get negative if we etch away a positive. Negative is really a positive. Exactly. The negative could be so many things. The negative could be you put it on. You decide what that is. If you're still going to hold on to the garbage, you will never be able to change. The only way is by etching out a piece of the stone. And it could be, yes, it could very well be that as a result, you're going to take part of the good too. But you know what? That's the only way to treat cancer right now that we know of. It could be, based on our technology right now, that when we get, try to get rid of the cancerous cells, we take some good cells with it as well, otherwise known as chemotherapy. But there's no other way. It's the very survival of who we are. We live in a society, a narcissistic society, that never existed since the beginning of time. People who have pride for no reason, people who are envious for no reason, people who boast and they, they, they feel a certain sense of entitlement for no reason, just because they are alive. They feel rights. Who decided you have rights? Rights for what? Our society created a system and a series of rights that people have. And people have become entitled based on that. What Kabbalah is saying here is something that is profound and difficult at the same time. At some point, we're going to grow up and we're going to realize that we don't have rights and we're not entitled. All we have is responsibilities. And part of that responsibility is going to require us etching out a piece of ourselves, finding the humility within ourselves. Humility only comes by taking away a piece of ourselves. We hope that we only take away the bad, but sometimes the good comes with it. And as a result of it, we go to a space of uncertainty. We don't know what's going to happen. The world may be created, and the world may not be created. As a result, we may be able to create a world, and as a result, we may, we may not be able to create a world. But right now, the first space, the first space we have to etch out in order to try to find change in our life, in order to create a finite world from the infinite, through the process of tzimtzum, is our ego. 
we must figure out a way to get rid of our, e- our ego. Because you know what ego stands for? Edging God out. Let's explain it another way. In order for the finitude to take on parameters and definition, there had to be some form of definitive language. These dimensions are called letters. Letters are the building blocks of words which can build sentences, speak a language, and subsequently communicate. Kabbalah calls these letters vessels, kalim. And the meaning within the words, lights, orot. Every sentence is composed of letters which are vessels for the meaning of the sentence and the message conveyed which is called light, or. The revelation of vessels came about through the tzimtzum. Although they existed in the abstract form before the tzimtzum, within the Aryan Saf was also the power of finitude. Prior to the Simpson, these letters were filled with Arain Suf and they represented only the potential for limitation. So is that kind of like the, uh, the first line in Genesis? Yes. Like in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth? That's correct. And the, the earth was void and without form? That's right. Exactly. It's exactly. So the entire night, I've and listening to the sound effect of people pouring seltzers and waters in their cups. Now, what would happen? Right now, I have some seltzer in my cup. What would happen if I just continued to pour and pour and pour and pour and pour? It would overflow. Why? But why? I want more. <laughs> <laughs> because my cup over here is seven ounces. It is limited to seven ounces of beverage that it can hold or practically anything but let's call it seven ounces of beverage that is what it's limited to right now in order for me to make more space for more what do I have to do? L'chaim now I have more space but what did I do? I had no choice I had no choice I wanted to fill more in there I want more blessing. (laughs) I want more water. I have no choice in order to get more water to get rid of now. But I'm holding on to it. That's important. I may need it for a rainy day. I'm a hoarder. (laughs) It's very hard. I have an emotional attachment with it. I don't want to get rid of it. Okay, no problem. You don't want to get rid of it? You'll get no more. Because your vessel is seven ounces. You are limited. It's limited to seven ounces. You want more? Make space for it. We have a lot of garbage. Did you get a bigger glass? We'll talk about that in a second. <laughs> but first, let's talk about the first step. Huh? No, no, she gets it. She gets it. She's a step ahead already. She feels entitled to a No, absolutely. There's a way to make a bigger space. 
But we'll, we'll talk about that soon. First, we have to say, there's a lot of garbage that we keep in our vessel. Lots of garbage. And that garbage takes up our vessel to the point where we cannot find any blessing. So we have no choice but to get rid of the garbage in order to make space for the blessing. That's our job. Our job is to continually get rid of garbage, making space for the blessing. It's the first step. How to make a bigger vessel? Can you just keep the garbage and get a bigger vessel? You can add more things to it? It's fascinating. No. <laughs> but it is, it's true, right? You would think that you should just be able to buy more space. By getting rid of the garbage in the vessel, the vessel gets bigger. Not only is there more space in the vessel, it also grows as well. Because every single time you have garbage, those experiences, they, by learning by, from them and, and, and growing from them, your vessel grows. So you need that. We want all those bad experiences. We turn to God and we say, thank you. Bring it on. The more, the better. And that's why you see the greatest people that we know. A lot of them went through the hardest hardships. We're okay with that. We won a lot of hardships. That's okay. We have no problem with hardships. Nobody told us it was going to be easy. That's not the point of it. The point is to go through it. The greatest people, we get inspired by these stories of incredible people. I mean, you know those stories. Incredible people. Some of the greatest people we know, what they had to go through in order to get to that greatness. Nelson Mandela was like 20 years in jail. 20 years in jail. How old was Martin Luther King when when he was killed? I think it was 40s. Unbelievable people have to go through unbelievable hardship. How many years ago was Martin Luther King killed? 1968, so 50. Almost 50 years ago he was killed. Over 50. 50 years ago he was killed. And we're still here talking about him. A man in his 40s. The effect, the change that he brought upon the 20th century, now into the 21st century, is clear. It's real. The hardships we have to go through. The greatest people have gone through the greatest hardships. If you've gone through hardship in your life, you should know that God thinks that you're great. And that's why you went through it. Because you're great. And your purpose in this world is greater than others. And in order for you to realize your purpose in this world, you need to go through these hardships. And God trusts you. Because if not, he would not give you those hardships. He trusts you to be able to go through those hardships, empty your vessel, and as a result, allow your vessel to grow and become bigger. Let's talk about the function of the tzimtzum. You ready for the next level? You follow me right now? We're good? 
Let's go to the next level because there's a lot more. The function of the tzimtzum was to remove the Arain Saf, the flood that flooded the letters so that the limitation and finitude could be actualized. In order for there to be diversity within creation, it was necessary to reveal different qualities or attributes within the, within the divine. These attributes are called sefirot. They are the building blocks of creation. Every sefirah, every attribute, is composite of lights and vessels. It must be emphasized that the existence of the sefirot in no way implies plurality within divinity. The sefirot are not separate entities within the Arain Saf. To quote the quote from Sefer Yetzirah, who wrote Sefer Yetzirah? Abraham. Abraham. The ten sefirot are blima, without substance. Their end is wedged in their beginning and their beginning in their end, like a flame bound up in a coal. For God is one, and there is no second to him. The same metaphor is employed in the Zohar. The Holy One, blessed be he, the Zohar says, amidst ten crowns, supernal holy crowns with which he crowns himself. He is they and they are he, just as the flame is bound up in the coal. There's no division there. So, we now understand that we need a space. We've got to empty the vessel. And as a result, Liana even pointed out to us that the vessel grows. Now we're going to go to the next level. How do, how do we create? We have the empty vessel. We did the, the tremendous, tremendous, difficult challenge of emptying our vessel. Now that we have the empty vessel, what do we do? How do we create? We need the spark. We need the light. But we need the light, only as much light as we can handle in our vessel. Not more because it's going to shatter our vessel. We made space, but I didn't clear up my vessel completely. I still have a little bit of garbage in there. I'm still a human being. Come on. I mean, that's reality. Let's just call the spade a spade. I'm still going to have some stuff left over. So I can only take so much light. I, can't, I can take a finite amount of light. But the light is infinite. So what am I going to do? I have space, I have space. It took me a long time, a lot of hard work, but I made space. But how do I take an infinite amount of light and put it into a finite amount of space? That is what we call tzimtzum. Tzimtzum is God contracting or zipping up or making sure that even though God's light remains perfectly intact, when it reaches our vessel, there's only enough that we can handle. Yeah. That's the similar I think the first one's about the antenna. It's a lot. It's more than it handles or hurts. 
It'll be a little. It'll be a little more. You're right. It will hurt. Absolutely. You're 100 percent right. Good. It's a little more than you can handle. That's why it hurts. Very good. Kabbalah compares the sefirot as they were in pre-Tzimtzum state to the potential of a spark from a flintstone. Even if the stone has been immersed in water, there still remains potentially the ability to strike the stone and make fire. In no way could we say the spark has a separate identity within the stone. However, as the sefirot emerge in the post-Tzimtzum stage, they are indeed like a flame bound up in a coal. The flame definitely has a separate entity, and yet its whole existence is completely bound up in the coal. So now in order to visualize this kind of experience that happens after Tzimtzum, Rabbi Chaim Vital creates a graphic. He says like this, imagine a circle, and the circle is full of the Arain Saf, Circle, circles filled with the Arain Saf. No finite existence may be created within this circle because the light of the infinite totally occludes it. The Tsimsum concealed the Arain Saf so that within the circle is left a void within which something finite can be created. There's a circle of light. It's now being concealed. There's a void. Let's say a shadow. Where you now have a space to be able to enter or bring in something new. The next stage of creation was the introduction into the circle. A beam of pre-Tsimtsum light called the Kav. The Kav is the beam. Contained within this light were all the ingredients for the creation of various worlds. So everything is contained within the Kav. The difference between a circle and a beam of light is that the circle has no beginning and no end. Around its circumference, one can move ad infinitum. The circle represents the infinite light of Sovev Ko Almin the light that surrounds all the worlds, which is peripheral to all worlds. We call it an armakif, a transcendent light. The kav, on the other hand, is the line which has a beginning and an end. It's not infinite. It's not a circle. The kav represents the chain of worlds in the post-Simpsum state in which there are higher worlds and lower worlds, rather like the various rungs of a ladder. In the higher worlds, the light is very intense and God's presence is absolutely manifest. As the Kav progresses, the measure of light is reduced further and God's presence becomes more concealed within the vessels. At the center of the circle is this world. This is the lowest point of the line at which the light is totally concealed within physical creation. So, there's Sovev. There's the circle. The circle, kind of, you, can't, you cannot control the volume button. 
It just goes and goes and goes and goes. So there's a creation. So there was a general creation called Sovev. That's just a circle that's kind of going, 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 going. Now, how do we get it down here? How do we take the circle that's over there, that's just going, 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 creation, creation, creation. How do we bring it down? We use what's called the Kav. The Kav is like a ladder. It has gradients up and down, depending on where you are. And the gradient is how much light you're experiencing. So there's basically... Four worlds on the gradient, on the Kav. The first world, so first of all, there's Arayin Saf. Arayin Saf, Arayin Saf, created, Sovev. Now there's four worlds. The first world is the world of Atzilut, which we call the world of emanation. And there is just, basically, it's very close to God. It's, not, it's one step removed from God, but it's still very, very close to God. So there's celestial beings, very high beings. Then there's the world of Bria, creation. So that's the first step of creation. In that world, there's angels, and there's celestial beings as well. Then there's the world of Yitzira, which is the world of formation. There's actual real formation. So there's other um, higher souls and angels there. Then there's the world of Asiya. Asiya is the world of action, which is our world. Now there's Asiya Ruchni and Asiya Gashmi. The source of our souls comes from the higher level of Asiya, the Asiya Ruchni, and this world is called Asiya Gashmi. The physical world is the physical world of action. That's what we call it. So, let's try to understand this. To help us understand this very difficult concept, we imagine a beam. The beam is entering a circle, and then it's creating concentric circles like this, right? It's moving its way down. It's like an accordion, a cord. Rather like the layers of an onion. In our case, the circles are worlds. And each world is kind of a circle. And it moves its way down as it's like a spiral staircase. That's the example that we give for it. Like a spiral staircase. As you move your way down, there's less and less and less light. As we get to the bottom, where we're the, the, the lowest part of the spiral staircase. So therefore, there's the least light in our world. As the Kav enters the circle in our analogy, the outermost layer of the onion, the first stage of the world of Atsilut, Bria, Yetzira, and finally Asiya, which is our world. Follow Atsilut, which reaching deeper and deeper towards the center, they enter the light of the Kav, which is the light of Mamalik Amen. As it gets closer and closer to the center, which is our world, we add a new energy. The first energy was called Sovev Kolamin, which was this energy that kind of surrounded the world. It was this peripheral light. Then we enter the light that fills the world, which means there's God in this table. How do we have that? We have that through a light, an energy called Mimalik Kolamin, which is an inner light. And light that, there's, there's a light that sovev, that's more peripheral, and there's a light that actually permeates every single creation. So, or pnimi, memamikol amin, and tas are the same thing? Yes. No. No, no, no. Memamikol or pnimi are the same thing. Okay. The kav is the mechanism through which memamikol amin is created. But is it, okay, so it doesn't work with any other lights. No. So real, all the three words are related. That's right. You guys okay still? You're following? Or am I way over your head? 
I'm sorry. I need my whiteboard back. I would have been able to show you my whiteboard. I don't know. It's on the wall downstairs. No, it's too. It's a big one. I need. I need. I need my. I have a one that was on the easel that I used for all my classes for a long time. I need my whiteboard. So, let's go back to the metaphor. Einstein removing quantum theory from his mind was to reveal elementary mathematics to the student. The process was for the purpose of revelation. So the student would eventually be able to get maybe to Einstein's level or maybe even higher. The same is true of Simpson. The purpose of the Simpson was not just concealment, but it's also a revelation, a descent for the purpose of ascent. Einstein is being able to filter all of his knowledge for the purpose of taking his students and making them even greater than him. That's the greatest thing. The greatest wish of the Kabbalist is to make the student Kabbalist even greater than himself. Through Tzimtzum, the finite world was created. The Torah and the mitzvot can be likened to the clothing or the garments that are covering the infinite light. This world, with all its limitations, cannot contain the infinite light in its revealed state. But it can in concealment. Within this world, one can reveal the pre-Tzimtzum or Ein Sof, as it is enclosed within Torah and mitzvot, fulfilling the purpose of creation, to create a dwelling place in the lowest realm. The entire purpose is so that that little bit of spark of light of God can live in this world. It only could happen through our actions. That's why this world is called the world of Asiyah. Our actions help that light live in this world. So the entire purpose of all creation for this entire mechanism was so the light can live in this world. In terms of human history, the revelation of this light will take place in stages. At present, the Shrina, the divine presence of God, is concealed. But as history progresses into the Messianic era, there'll be a greater revelation of the pre-Simpsum light, even more so at the time of what we, our, our, our prophets say, the resurrection of the dead. It should also be noted that our actions and mitzvah performance in exile will eventually precipitate the revelations of the Messianic era and the resurrection. Exile is externally a result of sin. Internally, the real purpose of exile is to reveal self-sacrifice. Mesirat Nefesh, for mitzvah observance. This acts as an arousal from below and elicits a response from above in the form of reward of messianic error. It's a fascinating thing. We live in a world of which there is, the entire purpose for living in this world is for us to have Mesirat Nefesh, self-sacrifice. Self-sacrifice, years ago the self-sacrifice was, was physical. They would have to risk their lives for various things. Today, it's not a physical, it's a spiritual self-sacrifice. We have to forego on some of what the world has to offer in order to be able to live a more spiritual life. What is the reward for that? A better world, a messianic world. When, when the Rebbe created this kind of idea of the Chabad house, going out into far-flung cities of the world and creating little centers 
uh, that would be beacons of light in those local communities. The Rebbe said very clearly that this was the way that Mashiach was going to come, that we were going to be able to enter uh, an era of peace and tranquility in the world. It was only going to be through this because the entire purpose of everything that we do in this world is in order for to help us allow the world to enter a peaceful state. The world is in a state of disequilibrium. The world is more de-equalized than it ever has been in history. In order for us to be able to reach a state of peace, we have to do something that had never been asked of any generation in the history of the world. We have to take away part of ourselves. We have to etch out our stones. We have to have self-sacrifice by not having They used to wish for a morsel of bread in the camps. They used to wish for a day of peace. Today, we don't know what to do with so much time on our hands. We don't know what to do with it. Today, it's not about not having. It's about moderation. It's about not becoming gluttons to society. It's about not giving in to every single women temptation. Our society, our generation, is being asked for something that no generation in history was ever asked for. It's asking not to give in to every whim and desire and temptation of the world, of yourself. There are things that we hold back. The hardest things for us, the very animalistic, very fiber, very nature. And it's not that we become frustrated almost like a a sexual tension. That's not what it's about. It's about an honest, an honest holding back. Why? Because, just because you feel it doesn't mean that you're supposed to do it. That is a request that I believe is harder than every self-sacrifice that has ever been asked from anyone in the entire history of the universe. I think it's easier to kill yourself than to do that to a certain extent. I think it's easier to, to run around the camps, heaven forbid, having to ask for a morsel of bread. It goes against every animalistic desire and tendency that's ever been asked of anyone in all of humanity. And today we have to do that. That is our challenge of our generation. We have to be the ones that engrave. There is. Of course. Of course. Look at what they did to us. They made us eat so much because it's not enough to have uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You have to have snacks. Of course, they want to sell us more food. That's their business. They're in the business of selling more food. Of course, you need to have 14 snacks in the middle of the day. (laughs) Their modus operandi is to sell you stuff. And we now create our entire culture based on thousands of advertising messages of which they now employ 
social psychologists, psychoanalysts, great scientists to be able to convince you subliminally to go buy their product. All day, we have thousands of messages that are coming at us by people who are paying millions of dollars to know what's inside of your head. There are now, it's never happened in the history of humanity that there is, are companies today that are so global. They are selling stuff that you're thinking. Do you know how they know what you're thinking? Because of your search histories. They're listening in on your conversations. Can you imagine? How is it possible that you go somewhere and you meet someone and the next day, there's a French suggestion on Facebook for this person. They know everything. And they're selling this information. They're not trying to get at you. They don't want anything from you. They just want to sell you stuff. It's not this convoluted society. It's just a simple society. They're spending millions of dollars to sell you whatever marketing that they want to sell you. And we have the greatest challenge of ever in history. With all of this technology, with everything, we have to figure out how to piece that away, how to engrave, how to not give in to society, to the whims, to the desires. It's impossible. It's the hardest thing. I also live in this world. I, I'm not immune to it. We all have those difficulties. But that's our challenge, the challenge of our generation. It's a very difficult challenge. But we have infinite, infinite light. We have infinite potential and we have the ability to do this. More than any generation in history. Against, totally against the tide. Like the salmon that is surviving by going against the tide. Martha calls Henry and says, Henry, I heard that on the news there's a car that's going the wrong way on the expressway. He says, what are you talking about the wrong way? They're all going the wrong way. <laughs> that's our job. Our job is to be the Henrys. They're all going the wrong way. And just because they're doing it and just because it became normal doesn't mean that that's what we're supposed to be doing. And we have to know what our morals and values are. We have to know what our non-negotiables are. What is above this world. Let's continue. Page 24, third paragraph. Kabbalah explains the various names of God. One may not pronounce the four letters of God's name as they are written due to the name's great sanctity. We shall therefore employ the word Havaya to denote that name, the tetragrammaton, yud ke vav ke. It's composed of three words. Haya, he was. Hove, he is. And yiya, he will be. This describes Sovev Ko'almen. What we're going to understand is that the name Havaya, in a different context, as it relates to the four worlds, the name of God that describes Maliko Amim is Elohim. 
So Soviv is Havaya. Havaya is past, present, and future. Guess what? What is it? Is it kindness or severity? We're going to talk about this next week. Is it kindness or severity? Havaya. Past, present, and future. Why do you say kindness? Yes. Why? Come on, tell me. Because kindness has no end. Kindness has no end. It's past, present, and future. If you're always kind, you're never kind because you can always be kind. If you just continue pouring the water, eventually your vessel won't be able to hold it. What is Nimale Koamen? Elohim. What is Elohim? Where kindness ends. You say, God, wait, wait, stop, stop, stop. The vessel can, seven ounces. That's it. That's it. At some point, if you're always kind, you're never kind. What is the opposite of kindness? Evil. No. Um, What's the opposite of kindness? Restraint. What restraint? Where you stop kindness. The first time you say no, all your yeses were a yes. If you always say yes, you never said yes. No. If you always say yes, you never say yes. If you say one no in your entire life, all your other yeses were truly a yes. We're going to talk about this. We're going to go into all of this as we get into the sefirot. Don't worry. We're getting into all of the behavioral psychology, all the emotions. It's going to be the next two weeks after this. That's Gevura. The numerical value of Elohim is the same as the word nature, Hateva, implying that God's presence within creation. Kabbalah talks of the unification, Yichud, between Havaya and Elohim. The Torah tells us, know this day that Havaya is Elohim. Kabbalah calls this unity of Sovav Ko'amin and Mamalakamin, seeing God both transcendent and imminent. Now we can explain why God first revealed the infinite light and why only then through the process of Simpson revealed the finite light. The purpose of creation is what? That God desired a dwelling place in the lower world called a dira bitachtonim. In order to fulfill this purpose, two things were necessary the creation of the lower world, and the ability of the lower world to be absorbed within the divine light. Initially, God revealed the Arayin Saf, the transcendent light of Sovev Ko'amim. Simsum revealed Mamala Ko'amim. Since the latter stems from the pre-Simsum light, it always has a desire and an ability to be nullified in its source. Simply put, God wants a person to live within this world and be above it at the same time. Being within is memali ko'amen, but staying above is sovev ko'amen. In the mundane activities of business pursuits of eating, whatever else it may be, one should know God in all the ways. In spiritual activities, one stands above the creation when praying or learning. The purpose of creation is the fusion of the two, but it's only achieved through total nullification. Bittu, to Atzmut, to God Himself, 
in fulfillment of his desire and creation. So, in order for us, physical beings, to be able to achieve sovev, being higher, being able to tap into our infinite potential, what we have to first do is create a space. Creating the space by getting rid of. Then once we get rid of, we now have the ability to tap into a higher power. We tap into a higher power by living within this world but above it. By understanding the nuances of this world. It's so easy to want to go become a Buddhist monk and live on a mountain in Tibet somewhere. That's easy. It's hard to be a Buddhist monk on Sherbrooke. If you can achieve the same level of meditation in the middle of all the chaos and the noise, that's your place to try to make sense of the chaos and the noise, to try to find your inner balance in this world, at work, at home, in your relationships. And every element and every idea and every facet of your being to try to find that balance in your life. That is your purpose. The first thing you have to do is get rid of the garbage. Easier said than done. We know. After you get rid of the garbage, you now have space for the good stuff. Then you can't just create the void without filling it. You create the void without filling it, it gets filled with more garbage. Just different garbage. Different person, same head. You know what I mean, don't you? It happens over and over and over until we figure it out. You're like, I've been through this again. Why again? Why me? Why me? Because you created the void and you didn't fill it. It's going to keep on happening in your life over and over again until you make a conscious change. That conscious change is called Mamala Kohamad. But they say when you want to stop a habit, like stopping smoking cigarettes, the best way is to, you stop something and then you start something. Yes, right. You replace it. Yep. So, let's talk about the modes of creation. There's the kav, the beam of creation, and the circle of creation. The kav is mimale, koaman, the light that fills all worlds, the arpnimi, the inner light, and elokim, which represents severity as well, or restraint. But what's the difference between the Malakalam and Arpini? Nothing. Okay, why is there two words for um, it? One is used as, they're two, they're two different metaphors. They're, just, they're, 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 very, they're the same thing. Okay. And Elohim is the result of that, right? Is the imminent name of God. We record the restraint, which we'll talk about next week, how that works. Then there's the circle of creation that is more you know, above this world, which is the light that surrounds the world, or Makiv, the transcendent light, and then Hamvaya, which is the kindness, the transcendent name of God. This is how Hashem created the world.
What do you think? I have an additional reading there for you that you can read later. Any questions? Yeah. It says, God wants a person to live within this world and be above it at the same time. What does that mean exactly, be above it? Literally, live within this world and be above it. Not get sucked down by this world. This world, especially our world today, has a way of sucking us in. So not to get sucked down by this world. Not to get sucked into the nuances of this world. Not to give in to every whim and temptation. To live above this world. It's so interesting how all these like, crazy concepts, at first, you know, you hear about them, and then at the end of the class, you're like, oh, it totally relates to my life. But at first, you're like, no, what does this have to do with me? You're like, there's no... Nothing to do with me, like, like, symptom, all these things, but it's so practical in some way. It's really fascinating. For me, teaching this, the hardest thing is to try to take it out of the theoretical and bring it to the practical. Like, I really have to think about the process and how I'm going to bring all these very difficult, and you're going to see as our classes go on, how difficult it's going to be. These are very difficult ideas, but they're so important. Like, I just honestly, and I'm not saying it in a in a in a proselytizing way, don't, don't get me wrong on this, but I just don't can't understand how people can live their life without, with, without knowing this. It's so important just for basic living in today's you world. Huh? You wrote all yeah. this? Very easy Ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is sadness and depression. And a third of the United States is on Prozac. No, it's not. Ignorance is not bliss. There's no bliss going on. People are really sad and depressed and have no purpose and meaning. And, and, and they're just... Or the opposite. They become really egotistical and narcissistic and, and, and self-serving. And they, they're, they're destroying their relationships. They're destroying their families. They're, they're, they're destroying their children. I don't agree that ignorance is bliss. I think that it's, it's crucial that we understand these, these ideas today more than ever before. And I was saying that our generation has a challenge that no generation in history has had. It's such a different challenge. It's such a different way. We don't, we, we don't even have... This is it. We, we don't have too many other ways of, of being able to navigate this difficult challenge. Could you imagine going out to the, to the world and saying that certain things that you think are primal desires are wrong? Don't do them. And as a, res- and as a result of you not doing them, you're going to become a better person. You know why? It won't go over too well? Why won't it go over too well? How sad is that? Very. And yet we're sadder than we've ever been. We're more depressed than we've ever been. We are destroying relationships at faster paces than we ever have. We are messing up children at faster paces than we ever have. Everything changed. Everything changed. There's nothing that's the same. 
what was the Somebody died in 1975, and they came back to the world right now, they would have a very difficult time interacting with this world. They would have to be able to use an ATM machine. They wouldn't even know what that meant. There was no ATM machines in 1975. They wouldn't be able to interact with most of payments. How do you pay for things today? The whole world has changed completely. Completely, in every way. We never realize it because we're living this and, and we, we watch the slow progression, but every single year, sometimes now every month, there's new ideas and new things that are, in, that are, I mean, could you imagine 1975? I mean, how we get communication today, how we do things, how we interact, cell phones, internet, texting. simple things, texting. How are you going to explain somebody? I mean, we have a hard enough explaining people who are living. So are you saying that we're entering an age now where, where people are going to have to search, have to do some searching we're, to, find, to find... We're entering an age that without purpose and meaning in your life, you will, you will end up on some kind of antidepressant. Guaranteed. which never existed in the, in, in, ever in history. It's probably because there's so much free time. Well, a lot and of free you, time. If you look at like the way people used to live in, in the 1700s, they were constantly working, building fires, like trying to stay alive. And now we just turn on the light and everything is there for us. So we have lots of free time. What about getting food? Apples grow in aisle two. Yeah, getting food. We don't have to... Uh, hi, can I please order a... Hi? What are you talking about? Shabbat. I just, today, in four minutes, I went into my shopping cart from last week, and I ordered my entire groceries delivered to my house today. You know how long it took me? Four minutes. Did you do it online? Online. Wow. From IGA? No, there's a, a store that I, a kosher store that I order from now. It has a whole app online, and it saved my history. I literally had just go into my shopping cart. I just made a few changes. Boom, 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 done. Wow. Look at this world that we live. We, we have so much time. It's amazing. Look at us sitting here. Look at, we're sitting here enjoying this moment. Look at this. Whoever imagined in history that we could be doing this without really, really any worries that what's going to be tomorrow. Is the time free though? I mean, we're also the most indebted that we've ever been. Out of choice or lack of choice, yes. And credit. And yeah, we, we, we make those choices. We live above our means. Right. We, we don't have money to afford our lifestyles. We want more and more and more. We desire more and more. Now imagine if we just don't. Well, that's the thing is lifestyles is what's sold to us. They're selling lifestyles to, to the masses. I don't think people are willing to... I don't see why anyone should, should be in debt. It's not easy to do. But if you live within your means, you won't be in debt. But you can have like, uh, an accident or an illness that causes you, you know, to have to buy you could. stuff. You could, you could. You could. You could also get insurance. It's worth it. 
<laughs> All the choices. Choices that we make. Every single day we make choices. By not making a choice, we also make a choice. Most young people are not taught the value of their money and the choices and how to make good choices. It's a big problem. But that's okay. You can start today. If you're in debt, get out of debt and don't get in debt again. It's that simple. I mean, it's not that simple. Nothing simple. But the point is that you should not be in debt. The point is that you should not be living above your means. If you, if you don't have the money to go out to eat, don't go out to eat. If you don't have the money to be able to afford your life, so don't do it. But as long as it's simple, it's easy. It's easy, and, you, and credit cards are wonderful because you have to think about it. If you don't like the way your life is going, then change it. I always think about that. There's a young woman who once came by the Rebbe for dollars. The Rebbe would stand on Sundays for hours giving out dollars to people. This woman came by. I remember seeing it in the video. She couldn't have been, she probably was in her early 20s. And she turns to the Rebbe with this soul-filled kind of hopeful face. She says, Rebbe, I'm not a good person. And she's waiting for this sage, for this scholar, for this wise old man to give her the words that are going to set her straight. They're going to set her back on the straight and narrow. The Rebbe looks at her and smiles and says, you're not a good person. So be good. If you're not happy with the way your life is going, so change it. The same person who got into this mess is the same person who can get out of this mess. You are the same person. You are the common denominator in all your failed relationships. You are the common denominator in all your successful relationships. You are the common denominator in all your debt. You are the common denominator in everything that you do. It's you. The first thing you do is make the space. How do you make the space? Stop thinking so high of yourself. Stop being egotistical. Make space. Create the void. And then make the change. You have the ability. You have the gift. The gift of time. The gift of resources. And Hashem gave you the ability to overcome all of those difficulties in your life. If it's a challenge that you have, you also have the resources. The Talmud says that the remedies to the illnesses come into the world before the illness. The Talmud says the remedies of the illnesses come into the world before the illnesses. 
at all times we have the ability to to change. Nobody said it was going to be easy. Before we conclude, um, any other questions? So I want to go around and get a little reflection. What are you taking away from tonight? Andrew, you're first. Well, the first thing that stands out is... uh in the mundane activities of life. This is also that you have to live in, in simultaneously in two worlds, higher and lower. So even when you have to eat and you have to go out and make money, you should try to find something godly in those pursuits. Mark? Um, it's, uh, I guess, a recent thing. I've uh, been cleaning up a lot of uh, family stuff, a lot of objects, but this idea of uh, ridding yourself and emptying the cup um, before anything can enter. Um, and I guess that's sort of necessary. Uh, it's not even self-care, but to, to even work on the self, you need to be aware that there's a limit to everything you've collected. House can only hold so much. Well, there's uh, quite a bit to uh, reflect on here. Um, I would say that the uh, first thing that struck me tonight that I'm probably going to have to look up some more is the void that you were talking about, void of the infinite, and how our role relates to that emptiness was made from the infinite. And uh, I'd like to ask, uh, there were two worlds for for, as, for Asiya. You said there was an upper and lower? A higher and a lower higher, world, and, yeah. And I, have, I, didn't, I didn't put it into the notes. But it's Asiya Ruchni and Asiya Gashmi. The higher Asiya is where our souls are born. There's where our souls come from. And the lower is this world, where our souls come to. So our souls go back and forth between the higher and lower world of Asiya. We're going to talk about it also. It'll come up again throughout this course. Anything else? Tamara? only one thing to do in Judaism. We always have like a few things to do. So we have to live in this world and above it. Never one thing. Always a few things at the same time. We're good at that. (laughs) (laughs) Can't be simple. Yeah, no, but, but the, I'm doing stuff that I've never thought in my life. That, that's so gross. Just, 
the Good vessel idea. grows. Getting the vessel bigger. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. amazing. It's, it's really amazing. Yeah. I've seen that. I've seen that a lot. And when you start noticing that. It only, it starts, it says that one good thing leads to the next because you start realizing your potential and it just kind of takes you on a journey that maybe you never thought you would ever go through. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, I guess I realized that, you know, through my own I feel like I'm kind of bouncing a bit between the lower world You do get lighter. You do get lighter as the vessel empties. Yes, you do. Alex? Well, um, I like how the parallels work. It's like, we're talking about lower and higher. This week is finally Kilmer. Yeah. And, and the topic that we're talking about now parallels the topic that's going on during the week. It is true, very much so. It's really. Yeah. I don't know, what stuck out for me was, you mentioned everything's a choice. I, I kind of come back to what we said, I don't know if it was last week or two weeks ago, where you, know, you could roll out that VHS and God would watch it and know what we're going to do. I kind of tied it into that. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. Like, he gives you the choice or the tools or whatever you want to We're going to, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to get into, I think, what is the most fascinating part of the intro to Kabbalah, which is the Sefirot, which actually goes through the intellectual and emotional faculties and how this all can actually apply to every facet of our bodies and our beings. And we're going to go, I'm going to try as best I can with the limited time that I have to give you a really good overview of that and how that works and how that functions. And also, once again, how it practically relates to your life. I would have to, would spend months, months to really properly explain it to you, but I will try to give you the best overview I can. I recommend, I, I encourage you to look it up over the course of this week, the Sefirot, to try to get, start familiarizing yourself with it because I'm going to go into more of a behavioral psychology perspective, which may be fun for you as well. I'm going to try to contrast it with psychology today. Um, and then obviously this weekend is this beautiful holiday, the holiday of the receiving of the Torah, Shavuot. And I encourage you to, uh, to take part in it this weekend, especially Sunday morning. It's very special, very, very special here. We're going to be able to, to, to re-experience that and reaffirm that. Also, um, based on what we did last week, it was an idea that came up last week and it worked. And I'm going to encourage you, I will have a meditation here tomorrow morning, 8.45 to 9.30. We were very good about it last week. We really just went 8.45 to 9.30. So you can rush to work or wherever you have to go right afterwards. And it will be, in a, I'm going to write tonight a direct meditation having to do with tonight's class. So it'll be a real uh, meditation. It's going to be 45 minutes. Last week we did 25 minutes. This week we're going to do 45 minutes. It's directly related to this particular class. We will finish. I did also last week. I'll finish at 9.30. Yeah, you can rush out. We're only 25 yeah, but we're going to finish. We'll start at 8.45 and finish at 9.30. We'll be exactly 45 minutes. And we're going to do it exactly... Um, we'll get into it right away. We'll come in. We'll do it. It's just a power boost before we start our day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And that is, um, that's our story for tonight. <laughs>